Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. First of all, I want to I want to thank Miss Marcia, uh, Marcia Scarborough, for leading us today. Of course, y'all may have seen that that's not Tony. <laughs> Tony is on vacation. Uh, he's in South Dakota uh, with his wife Carol, and and certainly he has earned a little bit of time off. And so uh, we are wishing him well. But I'm very thankful that Marcia uh, was able to lead us this morning. Very appreciative of her talents and ability. I. I heard a, a story of, a, of an older couple, an elderly couple. How, how many of you have been married for 50 years? Anybody in here been married? Wow, that is quite an accomplishment. Well done. Good job. Yeah, you can clap for them. That's great. Well, this, this couple had been married longer than 50 years. They had been probably married more like 60, 65 years. And they were getting on up there in the years and and you know how it is when you get a little bit older, your hearing starts to fail a little bit. Well, they were rocking on their front porch, this, this old man, this little old lady. And uh, I don't know, he, he kind of looked at his wife and there, the sun was sort of shining behind her as it was setting over the clouds and it was catching the wisps of gray hair. And he thought to himself that his wife had never looked more beautiful. And so he leaned over to her and touched her on the hand and he said, baby, I want to tell you, I have never found you to be more tried and true. And she looked back at him and she goes, what'd you say? And so he leaned in a little closer. Her ear was a little hard of hearing. And so she, he touched her on her hand and he said, honey, I wanted to let you know I've never found you to be more tried or true. And she looked at him and she said, well, I'm tired of you too. After 65 years, I would imagine so. You know, communication is key to any relationship. Whether you're talking about a, a human relationship or the relationship that you have with God, it's important that you're hearing each other correctly. Communication is what counts, after all, in any good relationship. You have to be able to communicate well. I can remember when Angela and I first got married, one of the things I had to work on as a man was how to communicate effectively with my wife. Now, we had been dating for six years, but we had not ever been married before, and being married added a whole different dynamic to our relationship. And so I had to constantly work to improve my ability to communicate with my wife. Maybe you men have had the same sort of problems. But communication is very important. This morning, I want you to grade your communication today. I want you to grade it. Is your prayer life, your communication with God, is it strong or is it weak? Are you communicating with God daily? Is it something that you do first thing when you wake up in the morning? Is it the last thing that you do when you go to bed at night? Do you feel like you have an attitude of prayer throughout the day? Are you speaking to God constantly throughout the day? Now, I would not recommend, by the way, closing your eyes while you're driving, okay? Keep your eyes open if you're talking to God while you're on the road. 
But nevertheless, we ought to always be speaking with the Lord. And we also should have the opportunity and the maturity to be silent before God so that we can hear God when he speaks back to us. This past week in Vacation Bible School, I was talking to our young people about what it meant to speak to the Lord and, and how prayer, how prayer functions in the life of a believer. And we often just lay out all of our desires, all of our wants. We give God our wish list, and yet we never really get to the heart of what's going on in our lives. We never pause, if you will, for just a moment and allow God to speak to us. After all, communication is not me speaking to God and not allowing God to speak. That's just me treating God like he's Santa Claus. Rather, communication is when you have a, a two-way street, an open door for one to speak, the other to listen, and vice versa. And so are you speaking to God? Well, in Luke chapter 11, we see that Jesus goes to a certain place. We don't exactly know where Jesus went, although if you go back through some of the gospel narratives, you'll see that Jesus uh, constantly gets away by himself. Many times, Jesus would go to the mountainside to pray. I imagine that's probably the situation that we found ourselves in here today. Jesus is probably on a mountainside, and he's speaking to God. He's speaking to his Father. And the kind of prayer that Jesus is praying is a different kind of prayer the disciples had heard or had been brought up hearing. They had never heard someone pray the way that Jesus prayed. And they instantly recognized that what Jesus was doing was real that it was tangible, that it was vital to having that relationship and that connection with God the Father, and they realized that they did not have it. They didn't pray the way that Jesus prayed. And so in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, we see Jesus, he goes away to a place, and then the disciples follow. They hear Jesus pray, and the disciples give Jesus Perhaps one of the greatest questions that they could ever ask Jesus. Jesus, we want to pray like you. Will you teach us to pray the way you pray? And Jesus obliges. So this morning, that's what we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. We're going to be looking at how Jesus prays. I want to give you three very brief points this morning as we look at six features of Jesus praying. Again, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. In verse 2, and he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. This morning I want to look at Roman numeral one of six features of praying the Jesus way. Now we certainly understand that many times we will take the Lord's Prayer and we will sort of recite it by rote. I've had the opportunity to be a coach on several uh, uh, athletic teams. And just this past year, we had a little boy. We were the Boston Red Sox, and I was coaching Jack's baseball team. 
and it was great. Before the game started, we had a little boy, and he would come, and he would lead us in the Lord's Prayer. And at the end of the game, he would lead us in the Lord's Prayer. That was the prayer he knew, and by golly, he was going to say it. By the end of the season, we were calling him Rev, because he was sort of the preacher on the team. And Jesus, by the way, isn't giving us the Lord's Prayer to say by rote all the time, although it's a phenomenal prayer. But he's teaching us some principles within the prayer that might enliven our own personal prayer life. And so let's look at that this morning. Roman numeral one, we should recognize God's character. We should recognize God's character. And if in quotations, you'll see here, Jesus calls God our Father. He recognizes God to be his Father. Now, in ancient times, during the Jewish, uh, well, during the ancient Jewish season, uh, Jews would pray anywhere from five to six times a day. And they would have a regimented prayer life. And many times, the prayers that they would say would never be really from the heart. They would pray what their rabbis had told them to pray. They would pray a, a rote prayer, maybe a prayer that had been written down for them. And they had memorized that prayer, and they would say that prayer over and over and over and over again. So you can see here the disciples who had been taught how to pray that way, a memorized prayer, a rote prayer, a, a prayer that someone else had installed into their life. And then all of a sudden they, they meet Jesus. And now Jesus is not saying a rote prayer. Uh, Jesus is not saying a prayer that has been memorized, but rather Jesus is praying deep within his heart, speaking, communing to his Father. And all of a sudden what we see here, the disciples are saying, wait, what we have been brought up learning that this is prayer, Jesus is doing something vastly different. And the disciples are seeing, you know what, we don't have the power that Jesus has. And the disciples are realizing Jesus is receiving power through his prayer life, through his connection with God. Jesus is receiving authority. He is receiving power. And they want what, Je excuse me, what Jesus has. They want to pray the way Jesus prays. You see, the disciples would not have prayed to God the way Jesus prayed to God. They didn't necessarily look at God the Father as their father, and yet Jesus introduces his father as their father. So when you pray, start this way, our father. Jesus here, I believe, is trying to tell us a few things. One, that our father, God the father, is strong. Our father, oh friend, I can remember growing up and my dad, a big tall guy, there was nobody bigger or badder on the block than my dad. You ever played that game before? Oh, my dad can beat up your dad. You ever done that? I can remember growing up and doing that. And then my dad would walk over, and, and my dad's almost 6'6", right? And he really probably could have beaten up their dad. But no one is bigger, badder, or stronger than God. Nobody's stronger than God our Father. He's strong enough to hold, hold us in the palm of his hands. He's strong enough to hold the universe in his hands. He's strong enough for your problems, your flaws, your failures. He's strong enough to deal with all those things. God is strong. Not only is God strong, but our Father is also loving. Our Father is also loving Oh, sure, we know that God is just. We know that God 
has wrath. We, we see God the Father pour out his wrath upon Jesus on the cross. But at the same time, his wrathfulness was mixed with love, wasn't it? It was a love for us that allowed the wrath to be poured out on Christ, his son. Friends, the one thing that I want you to remember today is, one, God is big enough and strong enough for all of your problems, but he is also loving you as well. On the last day of our, of our vacation Bible school, I was talking about how much God loves these young people, these students, these children. And I remember telling them, guys, the one thing that I want you to remember today is this, that God loves you. Now, it's sad in, in this life because we have known fathers that have not been very loving. We've known fathers that have been abusive. We've known fathers that have been hurtful. And yet God offers us a complete paradox to that, a dichotomy. He, he says, no, 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 the earthly father that you had here that's not good, I'm none of those things. I'm everything that your father, your earthly father, wasn't and cannot be. He's good and he's loving, he's strong. But it also, our father is also trustworthy. Our father is trustworthy. We can depend on God to show up when we need him the most. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. God is never going to abandon us. Uh, this picture became very real for me about five years ago when we adopted Jet because all the things that Jet missed in an earthly father, he found in me. <laughs> he found in me. He found in his mother. All of a sudden, Jet gained an earthly father that loved him and protected him and cared for him and adopted him into a family. Well, friends, even so much more than an earthly adoption, when God adopts you into his family through the purchase, through the blood, through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, oh, friend, you'll never let go of that family and it'll never let go of you. Our God is strong. Our God is loving. Our God is trustworthy. Quite literally, when Jesus is saying, our Father, he is almost reciting what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 15. Do you know that you can call God your dad? You could call God daddy. And that's exactly what it says here in the Greek. If you go to Romans 8, 15, for you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of what? Adoptions. When God is your father, you've been adopted as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba literally means in the Greek, Daddy. There is a connection to God. There is a love in God. There's a trustworthiness of God that God's never going to leave you or kick you out of his family. Oh, friend, God loves you. We should recognize God's character. When you pray, recognize that God loves you and acknowledge that before him. Oh, Father, I love you. God, I love you. And I know that you love me. No matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter what circumstance you're dealing with today, know that when you open your mouth, your heart to pray to the Lord, you can say confidently, God, even though my life is not perfect, I know that I know that you love me because you're my father. We should recognize God's character 
But then look at Roman numeral two. Not only should we recognize God's character, our Father, we should also respect God's name. We see this reflected in this phrase in verse two. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. The name of God stands for all he is and all he does. You know, we live in a very name brand society, don't we? If I were to say BMW, what do you immediately think of? Go ahead, say it. Cars, right? If I say Coca-Cola, what do you think of? A soft drink, right? Of course you do. If, if I say Wrangler, what do you think of? Redneck. No, yeah, blue jeans. I'm sorry, yes. I meant to say, I meant to say blue jeans. That's exactly right. Drew liked that one, didn't you, Drew? I could hear you. That's a good one, all right? All right we live in a very name-brand, name-recognition society. And yet, many times, we show a higher degree of respect to name-brand things made up by men than we do the name of God. The name of God stands for all he is and all he does. The name of God represents God himself. For example, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The name of God is a strong tower. Not to be trifled with, but a place to run to. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 27, see the name of the Lord comes from afar with burning anger and dense clouds of smoke. The name of the Lord is meant to be hallowed. It's meant to be respected. It is meant to be above all other names. Hallowed means to be considered holy or worthy of respect. In the Gettysburg Address, Abraham Lincoln said, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground for it has already been hallowed by the blood of the men who gave their lives on this soil. It's in the manner of blood that we often find things hallowed or holy. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and his blood was shed, no longer is Jesus' name just a name that can be given to anybody else. His name is above all other names because his blood has hallowed his name. And it's in his blood that we find respect and authority in the name of God. When you pray, Say, Father, hallowed be your name. We pray that everyone on earth will recognize that God is holy, that he's worthy of respect, and that he is valued above all other things, all other beings, all other people. His name is important. When God's name is hallowed in society, there will be respect for what is right the giving of the Ten Commandments was preceded by a display of shock and awe, thunder, lightning, earthquake, smoke, fire. Why? Afterwards, Moses told the people, do not be afraid. 
The fear of God will be with you to keep us from sinning. The moral foundations of our country, the moral foundations of American society, and even the laws that we base our country on are based on God and his hallowed name. When God's name is hallowed, society benefits. When God's name is hallowed in marriage, there is a foundation for dependable love. Couples are committed to work through difficulties and challenges. God's character is reflected in forgiveness and faithfulness and caring for others. Children have the solid foundation of love, respect, and moral values. That's why the commandment says in Deuteronomy 5.16, honor your father and your mother says as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And when God's name is hallowed in our own lives, we make wise choices. We do what is right and strive to, to create a better society. We're less anxious, we're more aware of our blessings and we're more positive about life. Psalm 128.1.2 says, Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. We pray hallowed be your name because if God's name is hallowed by all people, we have a solid foundation for life. Friend, what's wrong with America today is we do not hallow God's name. That's why you see the fabric of our society being torn apart, shredded like it's a piece of paper going through a document shredder. The reason why you see the fabric of our nation being torn apart is because we have stopped respecting who God is, what his name stands for. We've turned God's name into a curse word. We've turned God's name into a punchline. And so, of course, when we begin to take what is meant to be hallowed and we turn it into a curse, when we take that which is to be respected and we ridicule it, guess what happens? Our society begins to pull apart at the seams. The only way that we can find our way back to a society that is morally right morally just, where all people are held as, in the, as image bearers of God, is to start respecting the things of God. Is it really any trick that we see life being, um, uh, being torn apart? Even at, the, even at the womb, we see life being torn apart, even up to birth? It's because we've forgotten that God has blessed us with this life. And because we don't, expect, we don't respect the things of God, we don't respect the things that God creates. Oh, friends, we have to hallow the name of the Lord, respect the name of the Lord. Yes, we can definitely approach the throne of grace with confidence and assurance, but we ought to be approaching the throne of grace with a great deal of respect as well and fear. We hallow Jesus in our hearts. We put him first in our lives. Friend, that's what it means to hallow. If you're wondering, well, I, okay, I respect it, but what does it mean? It means that Jesus becomes the top. It be he becomes the most important thing that is going on in your day. Your top priority becomes Christ. He takes over our thoughts and our desires and our decisions in Psalm 34, verse 3, 
Listen to what the psalmist says. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We should recognize God's character, our Father. We should respect God's name. Hallowed be your name. Treat it as holy. But then we should also request God's kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Have you ever uh, observed a, a tired toddler crying and carrying on for no apparent reason at all? Y'all seen this? I saw this just the other day. I saw a toddler, and he was going crazy. And it was that fake cry, moms. You know what I'm talking about? It's a fake cry. It's not like a real cry. But you just didn't even really know what he, what he was wanting. And the mother was saying, well, what do you want? And, and he didn't know what he wanted. He just needed help. He needs a nap. He needs a hug. He needed someone to, to, to give him a spanking. I don't know. <laughs> He, need, he just wanted life to be better, but he just didn't know what he wants. And what I've learned is that adults are really no different than toddlers. I've seen adults throw fits because they don't get what they want, because they don't like what they see. They don't get what they want. People come to me and I, I just want to be healthy and successful and appreciated. I want more money I want the people I love to care about me. And, and really, I'm guilty of this too, by the way. See, many times I, I, I'm, I'm good with our father. I, I, that's a good thing. Man, God's my dad and dad loves me. Oh, that's great. I'm going to respect the name of God. But this is where it gets really tricky, this whole idea of your kingdom come. Because really, what Stuart wants, Stuart wants his kingdom to come. And really, if you're honest with yourselves, most of us would be in that same boat. We have periods of, of life, periods of time where we're like, okay, yes, God needs to bring his kingdom. Yes, that's true. But really, I want my kingdom. We went and saw a movie the other day. We got done with VBS and we've celebrated. Deborah, we celebrated, okay? VBS, we were we were done, right? It was a great VBS. And so what did the Davidsons do? We went and celebrated, and we went to a movie. We went and saw Aladdin. Have you ever seen Aladdin? One of my favorite cartoons came out in 1992. I loved it. I loved the music. I could still sing every word. I sat there in my, in my, my, my chair and just sang. It was great. It was wonderful. Here's the great thing. There's a great moral in Aladdin. You have Aladdin, who's a street rat. Street rat. And he really struggles with this term that's been delivered to him by all these people who are richer and more powerful than he is. He's a street rat. And so Aladdin, he encounters this genie. And of course, Aladdin, he's in love with Princess Jasmine. He's in love with Princess Jasmine. But he'll never get Princess Jasmine because he's not a prince. He's not a king. And so he rubs that lamp and all of a sudden, poof, the genie comes out and the genie says, what do you want? And the first thing that Aladdin says is, make me a prince. Make me a prince. And then all of a sudden, the genie says, fine, I'm going to make you a prince. And he makes him a prince and he gives him a fake kingdom. A fake kingdom. It doesn't even exist. 
It has all the trappings of a real kingdom. He's dressed like a real king. He's got all the money of a real kingdom. He's got all the people of a real kingdom, but the kingdom is fake. And about halfway through the movie, Aladdin is like, yes, I'm finally a king and I finally have my kingdom. But at the end of it, he realizes that what he really wants he didn't really get. Aladdin realized by the end of the movie that he really didn't need his own kingdom, that there was greater joy in being selfless, that there's greater joy in being a servant to someone else, that there's greater joy instead of receiving all the love and adulation for yourself, there's greater joy in delivering love and adulation to other people. Literally becoming another person's servant is greater than having your own kingdom. There's actually misery when you have your own kingdom. Friend, when we have this idea of Lord, we want your kingdom, not my own. That is really the heart of what it means to be a believer in Christ. It's this selfless attitude that most people don't have that you can only possess if you know Jesus. On Friday at Vacation Bible School, Melissa Kirby and I were teaching these young people, and uh, they were really just wanting to ask me a lot of questions. And so on Friday, we just said, you know what? I'm going to open the room up. I'm going to let you ask me anything you want to ask. And they did. One of the questions came from a little girl, and it was a really great question. A lot of the questions, by the way, were about heaven. What is heaven like? And so we read Scripture together, and we talked a lot about heaven. But this was a really interesting question. She said, you know, when we get to heaven, are we going to be able to do what we want to do? Or are we going to have to do what God wants us to do? When we get to heaven, are we going to get to do what we want to do? Or are we going to have to do what God wants us to do? Do you see the heart problem right there? What she's really asking is, listen, when I get to heaven, is heaven going to be more about my kingdom? Or is heaven going to be more about God's kingdom? And that is a phenomenal question. And friend, today, I, I hope that when you leave here, I pray that you will seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. When you pray, pray to God like he's your dad, because he loves you, because he's trustworthy, because he's strong. You should respect God's name. You should hallow it. You should trust in it and believe it because it's important. But then the next step is to say, Lord, take this selfishness out of me and put within me your heart. Give me your desires. Show me your path. Lord, may it not be so much about me, but rather, Lord, may it be more about you. Because when it's about you, that's where I find real joy, real peace. This morning, will you bow your heads with me? Father God, we come before you today so thankful that you are our Father. Thank you for loving us. But like any good Father, you also correct us. Thank you for never leaving us or abandoning us. But Lord, thank you for adopting us into your family. Lord Jesus, 
we are so profoundly thankful for what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that when we leave here today that people will see you and us. That, Lord, we will wave high the banner of our faith and that we will call others to faith and repentance. Lord Jesus, today I pray that this will not be about Stuart or that it will be about any other person. Lord, we pray that you will put your kingdom here above all other kingdoms. Lord, we pray that instead of being citizens bound to an earthly regime, that, Lord, you would install within us a kingdom mindset that we belong to a greater country. We belong to a greater empire. We belong to a greater heaven. Lord, thank you that we can pray to you, that you've given us that open conduit that we can come to you with assurance and authority and confidence, knowing that you hear us. Lord, I ask that you would bless us today in spite of our flaws, in spite of all how we fail. Lord, help us to look and act and think and speak more like you every day. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I want to offer an opportunity, a, a time of invitation. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.